We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey everyone, it's Lindsay Rhodes and I've got a new podcast, The NFL Road Show. Fun and kind of nerdy conversation about the NFL every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. I've got some amazing guests that are joining me. I'll be breaking the huddle with the top stories, previewing games. We'll get you set for the weekend fantasy with our Fantasy Friday episodes. And we'll answer some of your questions as well. So subscribe to the NFL Roadshow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen up. All you ever ask for is an opportunity. You got it today. Where else would you rather be than right? The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want Listen, they're a really good, solid football team up and down. They've got a young superstar quarterback that uh, that is just, I mean, he's a nightmare to deal with. He's six foot five. He's 240 pounds. He can run around. I mean, he's got unbelievable athleticism, great arm talent. But I think the thing is, is he's been developed properly. And, you know, it's really interesting talking to Brian Dable, talking to Josh Allen. Um, you know, you talk about, hey, man, he came in with a certain skill set. We didn't, we didn't come in and say, hey, this is the offense that you're running. We said, what can you do? Let's build an offense around you, and let's evolve that offense over a couple of years. Remember, his rookie year, he completed 52% of his passes. Then his second year, it was 58% of his passes. And then this year, it's 68% of his passes. Um, And they are interesting. When I went to study them, Colin, I'm thinking Buffalo, you know, it's cold. They're going to run the ball. They're going to be physical. A lot of quarterback design runs. I mean, they are a spread offense. Empty it out. Get five eligibles out. And let Josh Allen pick you apart. That's what they are on offense, and uh, and they're an exceptional football team. They really are. Welcome, everybody, to another edition of the Rock Pile Report Podcast. I am your host, Bill Season Ticket Holder, Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Kruger. And that was Drew's favorite analyst in football, Mark Schlereth, on his appearance on Colin Coward on Monday, talking about the Bills. God. Dominating the Denver Broncos. I still want him kicked in the face by a horse. I don't care what anyone says. I want. <laughs> I feel like he has it coming to him. Well, I don't know. Schlereth is not that bad. You know, the, not the, that bad. Well, the new guy that they got on that they got on the Fox Networks. Now he's. You know, you remember how they had Pat McAfee call a Week 17 game a couple mm-hmm. years ago? Yeah, and he made headway. That's what they're doing now with a couple of analysts. Now the new one on Fox that people hate. 
it's either a love hate thing. Is Akib Dalib? And I don't know if you saw him the pictures on Twitter of Akib Dalib doing the uh, Arizona Philadelphia game. No, the guy's suit looked like a couch from the nineties. <laughs> it was plaid and disgusting. He looked like a couch from the nineties. <laughs> Makes me. It reminds me of the haters' ball sketch from from the Chappelle show. Yeah, yeah, that's clearly clearly it. Oh, folks. We need to let some of this out. See, I, I see how I just immediately went with an insult. That's the theme of tonight's show. This is our sixth annual Festivus celebration. Chris, fill your hand. All right. Cheers, sir. To another Festivus for the rest of us. Oh, we have a packed show tonight. Week 15 recap. Whoa. Mmm. With a special yeah, guest, there we go. our Finish annual that. airing of Bills' grievances and more, and it's all made a little bit better knowing the Bills are division champions for the first time since 1995. I'll be interested to get into those uh, those grievance, grievances. We're, we had three losses there. What is there to? What grievances is there to have in <sighs> a in a division winning season? Oh, we're like going to talk about it. Think back to 1995. Pogs were the hottest Christmas gift of the year. I remember getting a Power Rangers slammer that I was asking for. And I'm sure now, looking back in retrospect, my parents were buying it going, my son wants me to spend $18 on this hunk of plastic. At Hills. This is stupid. But hey, whatever, it's $18 and he shuts up for a hot minute. (laughs) I remember that. The original PlayStation was released. It's hilarious looking back at that now, thinking how many guys our age in their 20s and into their 30s rushed out to buy a PlayStation like the original one. Yeah, give me PlayStation and Jet Moto. And what a big de- Jet Moto was a great game. What a what a big deal that system was and how those graphics were considered groundbreaking. And seeing how now by comparison to next gen consoles, they're almost unwatchable. It hurts your eyes to look at them. Yeah. The NFL did not have a website the last time the Bills were division champions. Chris was rocking a mean bowl cut. Yeah, had a bowl cut. I, myself, I had more of a John Oates meets Saturday Night Live's pet. Like, I had that kind of a vibe going on. Yeah, you. now that you say that, you do look like... Julia Sweeney as Pat. <laughs> I could see it. Like you, all you would have to do is just grow your hair out, and you are Pat. You already have the tits. Here's what I know: we are now AFC East champions, and of course, we got to lead off the show recapping the way we got there. The Buffalo Bills win against the Broncos, forty-eight to nineteen, and I have your stats of the game. Pay attention because it's part of the story. Josh Allen, 20 to 40 for 70%. 70, 70%. 359 yards, two touchdowns, and one sack. 114.5 rating. Drew Locke, 20 to 32. 62.5. 132. 132 yards passing. One touchdown, three sacks, 81.8 rating. Josh Allen targeted eight different players and had completions to seven of them. Except for Lee Smith. Because it's always Lee Smith. (laughs) If he's going to miss anybody, isn't it always Lee Smith? Yeah. 
9 of 13 on third downs, 69% conversion rate, and obtained double-digit yardage on four of those attempts. Third Third quarter scoring, Buffalo was plus 17, and they are now plus 31 for the month of December. Talk about halftime adjustments. Bills D against the Broncos offense. The Broncos offense started halftime, one fumble, three punts in the third quarter. No drives of more than two minutes and 20 seconds or more than six plays. That's a blanket party. You caught them sleeping. Wide receiver Jay Kumaro, first NFL target since last January, which was also a 22-yard completion. Yeah, and he had a touchdown, which also makes him 13th Bills receiver to catch a touchdown pass. That's a record, right? Ties the record by the 16 Falcons who went to the Super Bowl. The Bills defensive line, 12 tackles, 3 tackles for a loss, 2 sacks and a touchdown. Denver wide receivers, 5 catches on 13 targets, 37 yards, no touchdowns. Diggs and Beasley, 259 yards, 72% of the total yardage thrown by Josh Allen. 14 first downs, 82.6 completion percentage when targeted. It's obscene how good these guys are. And I guess that leads us into, Chris, the game day. The day. I mean, that's that, that's the story of this, right? I mean, think about back to Saturday. Non-Sunday Drew. Your girlfriend is either good luck or just spoiled. She hasn't been subjected to a full-blown Houston playoff loss, Drew Gear. That's why we're hoping we do play on a Saturday for the playoffs. So she can attend? Yes. Because she's good luck? Yes. The spread, I think it was one of the best I've put out this year. Weck, beef on Weck, and chicken wings. Yeah. Molson ice, pickled sausages... Chris, you supplied the bomb hot sauce? Yeah, I started watching Hot Ones with my girlfriend. She's never, she had never heard of it. So we just started watching it, and she just kept mentioning every time they get to that eight spot and eat that eighth hot sauce, the bomb, beyond insanity. So I was like, you know what, I'm going to buy it and just spring it on Drew. Because I know the next time he's going to get wings, he's going to get them plain and sauce them himself. And so I knew you were doing that. Showed up, took four chicken wings, <laughs> sauced them in the bomb, and uh, I ate one with you. And, yeah, and how did that go for you? It it went okay. Okay. The, the, the it was it was kind of like my my chicken wing dip because when you eat my chicken wing dip, yeah. like you don't get the heat at first. It like I think it took like a minute and a half before the full heat like kicked in. See, I tasted that hot sauce, and I got some Vietnam flashbacks to my Reaper wing challenges, but I, I got some sweat behind my ears, but I went about my day. I went about my business. All of you men in the room, besides me, tried one, and all of you were visibly suffering. At one point, I saw you lick a napkin. Like, I saw you just take a napkin and try to pat your tongue. Yeah. Them, <laughs> well, my, your, your friend Mike from work, he was the only one that didn't eat. Because he's smart. He didn't eat one of the wings. And then after the game, I ate the little nitro gummy bear. Yes. Nine million Scoville units. Why? Because it's a party. Why not? Yeah. And also, it was one of the most relaxing games of the year from start to finish. No anxiety, just celebration. 
And the celebration was incredible. Chris, champagne showers to Gangster's Paradise. Yeah, that was fun. Group singing from hits from the 1995, like Delamitri's Roll to Me, uh, TLC's Waterfalls. Mr. Boom, what was it? Mr. Boombastic? I don't know why you're, I don't know who Shaggy is. I didn't know who Shaggy, apparently he's my wife's generation knows him. I don't know. Random people driving that I know, driving up to my house, pulling into my driveway, laying on the horn and yelling, go Bills, and then leaving. Like, that's it. Just pulling in to be like, go Bills. Hey, Doug showed up at my house. Yeah, Doug Roloski. It was the best. It was one of the best. It it was a party all day. And it was just... When you listen back to the stats of the game, I did that because they pretty much tell the story of this one without me having to delve a ton into the gritty details. But there are a few topics I'd like to wax poetic on just for a second if I can. First of all, Josh Allen, this was his arrival. Okay? Okay. Say what you want about the last year of football that we've watched this season. He's done so many things, and yet this was the game where there was pressure. How many teams have you watched over the course of your life play down to their opponent in a Bills uniform? Bills have always done that. Okay. The Bills have always played down to their opponent. This was, And plus, this was a perfect spot because we just came off a huge Sunday night win at home against Pittsburgh, and now we got to go on the road on a Saturday and play the Broncos. So even those of you who are out there still holding on to the the fears of the past. Which is you. Eh, to you, a degree, but I was mm. loose. Once the game got going, I mean, we've gotten used to talking of Josh Allen this season, and he's transcended his first two years of football. Now he's a legitimate quarterback, as evidenced by his Pro Bowl appearance. Yes. He's a legitimate Pro Bowl quarterback. In... Ascending to that level, he's answered so many questions and doubts fans might have about his ability to be a quality starter in the NFL. But there were still questions there. Not to me anymore. I mean, I I learned my lesson doubting Josh Allen, but in the minds of a lot of other people, both about not just him, but this team's composure when exposed to pressure, because you guys are holding on to that idea. I remember telling my buddy of mine at work that I was talking to about this game, and he goes, ah, I just, I got a feeling about this. And I said, I don't. I don't. And you shouldn't either. Same thing about the Pittsburgh game. I don't have the same feeling you do because I'm watching the empirical evidence in front of me that tells me this is a good football team. We shouldn't be scared of these guys. (laughs) It seemed to come before each of these national televised games. This yeah, but moment that you'd have with everybody you were trying to talk to about the football game. I mean, did you find that? Did you find that to be your experience, Chris? Well, there's been uh, a lot of that, yeah, but throughout the whole season. And that's my point. Yeah. Everyone keeps yeah, going. Yeah, you beat Seattle, yeah, but yeah, Seattle but, didn't have this on defense. Or, yeah, but this and yeah, but that. But that's coming from Bills fans. I don't yeah. care about the national media anymore. Bills fans saying, yeah, but this could, yeah, well, the, the Pittsburgh Steelers might find their running game against us. Yeah, but Drew Locke might look like a competent quarterback with his 136 yards. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, they're living in the past, not the present where the Bills offense has been slaying winning teams all season. They're still wrestling with those ghosts of Bills teams past like the sports version of Ebenezer Scrooge. 
Saturday, the Bills emphatically answered that question in terms of whether or not they can play under pressure. And I think it started with the guy under center. Allen wasn't just good or just composed. He commanded this game with a with an iron fist. Did you at any point believe that Allen would let us lose that game? No, he's got that dog in him. He was unfazed by anything the defense had to throw at him. And there was no situation he couldn't navigate. Long third downs, red zone penalties. I mean, 14-7 Buffalo. Buffalo overcomes a rushing touchdown, right? You get a rushing touchdown called back. Then a pass touchdown to McKenzie gets called back on penalties. I mean, in that series, there was three of them. Holding, offensive pass interference, and then a false start. And you know how he responds? He hits Kumaro. He hits Kumaro. He goes, oh, you want to back me off the goal line? Fine. Fine. I'll do it the hard way. And he hits a practice squad wide receiver for a touchdown. Does it get... That's... That is... You know, that's some Aaron Rodgers stuff right there. Yeah, it is. I'm just glad we're going to get that for like the next uh, 12 to 15 years. And what I love is watching the, the frustration on the defensemen's faces. I mean, there, there, there was that thing, if you were watching the broadcast, Nick Chubb, not Nick Chubb, uh, Bradley Chubb, and one of the defensive tackles are yelling at each other on the sideline, pointing up there on the field after that touchdown drive. And you just hear Chubb go, what do you want me to do? Which is a question we've heard people ask before. Do you remember the audio that uh, the mic'd up when Joey Bosa was mic'd up and he had to slide into Allen's legs and drag him down in order to get him to the ground? And then afterwards, as he's being tended to for his potential ankle and knee injury, he's talking to the Bills offensive lines and he's like, guys, what do you want me to do? The guy's huge. How am I supposed... He keeps pushing me off of him every time I get close. What do you want from me? I'm trying to do my job. We have a quarterback who's able to frustrate defensive players like that. And I think that's a thing of beauty. And in a game where all the pressure was on us to grab a hold of our destiny and wrestle him into submission, Josh Allen came in there like Maximus in Gladiator. And with Dable providing him this masterful game plan, he slaughtered everything in a Broncos jersey he could see. For Dable, I think that this was this was something else. If you think back, Chris, to the last time I really got on my horse trying to criticize Dable, which is actually where the last week, which is where the stake bet with Greg Thompson was born. He spent the last month proving that his relationship with Josh Allen is legitimate. And the results of that were on full display in this one. Chris, what do I have in front of you? Charts. It's a chart. Charts. Because I love charts. And what I did was I charted every one of his throws. Negative five yards to five yards, six to 10, 11 to 15, and 16 plus. And I broke them all out into their own categories in terms of attempts, completions, and completion percentage. Yeah, you Chris, got, you got uh, negative five to five yards, 11 attempts, 10 completions. 90.9%, 6 to 10 yards, 9 attempts, 8 completions, 88.9%, 11 to 15 yards, 5 attempts, 3 completions for 60%, 16-plus yards, 12 attempts, 6 completions, a total of 50%. That's ridiculous. You mean to tell me that everything he threw from negative 5 to 10 yards from the line of scrimmage, 
he was almost 90% on. He hit 9 out of 10 on every one of those. Yeah, that makes you go back to like his rookie year where he sailed a pass on uh, a screen pass <laughs> in training camp. And everybody's like, see, guy's garbage. That's ridiculous. And it's worth noting that the lower percentages on the deeper passes, yeah, he had them, but he also touched, tossed a pair of touchdowns in each of those two ranges. One of them to a guy who hasn't been targeted in a full calendar year. Dable has found a way to harness the power of Josh and in concert with the wide receiver and tight end talent on hand is creating his magnum opus. And he's doing it all without the services of last year's number one wide receiver who should be back in time for the playoffs. Chris, with this offense hitting its stride the way that it has this month, how terrifying are we if you insert John Brown back into that mix? Oh, it's gonna. I think it'll open up the middle of the field if you stretch it with John Brown. You can get more options to Beasley and Beasley's already killing yeah. everybody. Yeah, it's gonna make him that more of a threat if you can throw in John Brown to run some deep routes. I mean, that in and of itself is a Christmas miracle. But our defense was equally impressive. Maybe not for the performance in its totality, because I know some people out there have some axes to grind. But there are some notable takeaways. In the first one, Jerry Hughes, his the Jerry Hughes touchdown. Didn't I yell, lay down? You remember me yelling, saying Jerry Hughes needs to just go down before he fumbles? Probably not. I was more concerned with the the fact that he was holding the ball like Michael Vick. Yes, but who's going to stop him? Anybody that can just get a pinky on that football will knock it loose. I don't think you know what that grip strength is like. <laughs> he's holding it like a loaf of bread. <laughs> but he's not LaShawn McCoy. He's much bigger than that. The Jerry Hughes touchdown, that guy has a motor. And even though everyone balked at him being re-signed, I think that that illustrated just how far he's willing to go to try to win. His motor doesn't have an off switch. And I I will apologize for being one of the people who's yelling for him to just lay down. Because I didn't think he had it in him as a 30-something-year-old man to fight his way to the goal line and into the end zone. I was happy to see that because that tells me his motor is still churning at 100%. Another thing that I watched that really intrigued me was the Trey White blitz that spawned that. It's a terrifying weapon if you use it correctly. I mean, Wallace takes a lot of flack, but a lot of that stems from his constantly being targeted, which is the nature of being the sidekick to an all-pro quarterback, cornerback. QB's game plan for Trey White. Even if you got idiots like Drew Locke who's like, well, I'm not going to be afraid to throw at Trey White. No, you will. You will. That's why you didn't. And a lot of that involves looking to make a play somewhere else, which makes it all the more terrifying for offensive coordinators now seeing that Frazier isn't scared to pull the trigger and send his best cover corner on a blitz because A, the surprise factor, and B, he attacks the ball before he attacks the body. Chris, that fumble replay. When he hits him, he's already trying to tomahawk that ball. He has no interest in trying to bring Locke down. Yeah. That should scare the hell out of every quarterback everywhere because now what it does is when you sit down to do film study, you have your offensive coordinator in your ear going, hey, look at this play. Look at this play. Drew Locke lost sight of Trey White, assuming he wouldn't be there or assuming he was going to follow the wide his wide receiver. So he immediately turned his focus to the middle and to the left, 
and White ate his lunch. And that was the end. That was the end. He never saw him coming. That's now a wrinkle that teams are going to have to prepare for. I love that. And then our defensive line once again dominated the trenches, held the Denver running backs in check, pressuring Locke consistently. And Frazier did a really good job. He really did. I think he's come to the conclusion that this team doesn't rush the passer well with just four guys. And over the last month, you've watched him get more creative with how he uses these second-level defenders to augment the pass rush without being a liability. I think early on in the season, we were hemorrhaging yardage because he was trying to generate a pass rush by committing extra defenders, and he didn't quite know how to do it with this group. It's a learning process, right? Yeah, that's why uh, AJ Klein kind of came on Yes, towards the middle to end of this season with his blitzing and sacking of the quarterback. Trey Edmonds has come on. Vernon Butler has come on. Trey White blitzes. Where were those earlier in the year? I think that as this season has gone on, Leslie Frazier has really found a way to step outside of his normal comfort zone and has learned what it is to cultivate these players into into a full defensive unit. And now you're watching them click. You're watching pressure form. You're watching turnovers get forced. This is this 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 has all of the makings of a slow ramp up to a great defense. And then look at those second half numbers I read off in the uh, in the intro to the show. Much like Brian Dable, who we credit with, hey, he turned a corner. He learned how to make adjustments in the third quarter. He learned how to make adjustments on the fly. I think the most most emphatic example of that I can give is the Steelers game. Dable came out of halftime and said, hey, we got, we got bottled up. We're not doing that anymore. We're going to feed this caged lion we've had over here in Stephon Diggs. We're going to turn him loose on you. He hit Denver so hard in the second half. In lockstep, Frazier has stepped outside of himself, and now his adjustments have been incredible. The way he's able to execute, the things that they're seeing on film, and him knowing the personnel that he has on hand, and how to put them in places to be successful. I mean, that stat from the top of the show about the point differential in the third quarter, you don't get that sort of result unless you have two talented coordinators who are both ascending, right? They're ascending. And they're playing, they're doing their best job as their players are gelling. Everything here is coming up Buffalo. Everything in its totality, both defense and offense, the players are all working in concert in a way that they weren't two months ago. Even then, we were still winning games, but we weren't winning them like this. And I mean, you look at the 4 0 mark that this team has staked since the bye week. When everyone said, oh, no, it's December. This is when Buffalo fails. That's primetime football. That's where Buffalo falls apart. 4-0 since the bye week. That's what happens when you put two great coordinators in concert with talent like we have on this roster and an ascending quarterback in Josh Allen who I'm now convinced is the Christmas gift that I don't deserve, but will gladly accept. Hey, I just like that you called Brian Dable uh, talented. I've let it go, Chris. I've already resigned myself to the stake bet. Yeah. You owe owe Greg Thompson out of cover one uh, stake. Maybe two. But 
I'm not the only one. And I think as more fans watch the game instead of just living living in their feelings and being oh, emotional about where, it. Where you live on Sundays. I know. How crazy is that that I'm the one here advocating for this? Well, it's Tuesday. Tuesday, you had, you, Tuesday Drew. Yeah, you've had, what, 72 hours to calm down from that game? Yeah. Yeah, that's about right. Yeah, you're calm. Just... <laughs> Why don't, why don't we do next week right after the game, Monday? Oh, that's a bad idea. <laughs> that's a bad idea. We all saw how that ends. But right now I'm looking at this team, and I, I, I just couldn't be prouder to be a fan of this football team, the way they've grown over the course of the 2020 season. And that leads us to our Hero of the Week. And I feel like it would be low-hanging fruit for me to just hand it to Josh Allen because everybody knows he's great. We're going to give it. To our man wide receiver, Stephon Diggs. Here's the deal. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I piss excellence, and nobody can hang with my stuff. Uh, you know, I'm just a just a big, hairy American winning machine. When you look at Stephon Diggs, when the trade got made, I felt so strongly about it that I sat on the toilet trying to read every article I could until my legs went numb, and then crawled out into the hallway to the chagrin of my wife. In retrospect, that's the correct reaction. This guy has been a transformative presence for this offense. That catch. Yes, it was a brilliant throw from Josh Allen. But you have to have a brilliant receiver on the end of it. Where he puts it in the bucket. Puts it in the bucket. Allen goes, hey, I'm going to run here. Or Diggs goes, I'm going to run to this spot. You just throw it. Just trust I'll be there. It's, it's a thing of beauty to watch him work with Josh Allen. How much do you think the two of them bond over the fact that nobody liked them? Probably. Over that and Call of Duty, allegedly. <laughs> Everything I've read, Call of Duty is a, a big part of it. But, you know, Stefan Diggs is glad that he's out of Minnesota. And, you know, big F you to all those people that were like, oh, he's going to hate Josh Allen. When he gets to Buffalo, he's going to ask for a trade midway through the season. Well, he's on his way to his first Pro Bowl, and I think he's third in receiving yards. So everyone in Minnesota can suck it. <laughs> Here's what I love. I'm looking at his career. Now, Stephon Diggs is still a young player by NFL standards. But when you look at what his career has been since they started tracking things like advanced metrics... Stephon Diggs is having a banner season for himself. It's his highest yardage, highest yardage total ever. And we still have multiple games left to play. That's the terrifying thing. He's at 1,314 yards. We still have multiple games to play. But in this game on Sunday, he was everything. He was the go-to, as he has been week over week over week when you needed a first down and it was third and nine. There's Stephon Diggs with a 16-yard game. When you go, when you're short, third and three, and you just want to run a short pattern to the sticks because you know they're sending the house. Okay, it's going to be a blitz. They're going to blitz the run and the pass simultaneously. I just need a quick out, and I need four yards on third and three. Stephon Diggs was there. He's the security blanket for this quarterback. When you think back to our most successful quarterbacks, namely Jim Kelly, how many talented wide receivers did he have to bail him out when he got in trouble? James Lofton, he had Andre Reid, he had Don Beebe. This team might be the closest thing. If you take John Brown, Stephon Diggs, and Cole Beasley, Cole Beasley 
they might be the closest thing we've had as a football team to that iteration of this offense. Yeah. Tell me that Diggs isn't the straw that stirs the drink there. He is because he can do everything. He can go deep, go across the middle, run short routes. I mean, I was watching uh, everybody's favorite pundit earlier today, Colin Cowherd, and he had uh, since week seven, I think we're second in points, average points per game in the NFL. We're like um, putting up almost like 30 points a game. It's insane how well this offense is playing. And when you look at what changed, obviously Allen got better. But you can't tell me that adding somebody like Diggs didn't help push that. And also, he shows up every Sunday. And on Sunday, he was probably one of our most consistent players. I mean, his stat line alone, I want to say, well, what, 140 yards on his own? And it's gross. He's he's just one, he's one of those moves that you, you dream your franchise might make. I mean, as long... This is one of those things the New York Jets always are wishing that their franchise will pull off, and then when they do, it never pans out, except for us, it did. And I love every second of it. And then the zero of the week. The official who called Milano for roughing the passer. You folks fell on your face. You get an F minus in my book. If there was ever somebody who needed Santa to pack his stocking full of coal and then set it on fire inside of his home, it's this guy. That's an abomination of a call. Because the linebacker's arms hit the quarterback's legs as he's being blocked to the ground from behind. He has legitimately no shot to do anything other than either resign himself to just letting the quarterback go or stick it on his arms to try to shoestring the quarterback, and he hits him in the shins. It'd be one thing if he hit him in the, you know, high waist, if he dragged him down awkwardly. He hit the quarterback's shins with his hands, and that got called roughing the passer. It's the new NFL. If it's a penalty, what are we watching? I mean, what kind of Tom Brady-loving nonsense is that? In a game that had some rather dubious calls, that one stunk on ice. And it immediately led to points for the Denver offense on a day where they really had nothing going for them. So I blame that guy. A pox on his house. Nah, it's Christmas. Ah, I shouldn't be so bitter. I I hope he walks into multiple pieces of furniture while trying to take a piss tonight. How about that? All right. Final thoughts, Chris, as you're walking away from this one. Bills clinched the division with this win. I think as soon as we were we were done filming you eating a gummy bear outside, getting a champagne shower while we play Coolio's Gangsta Paradise. I went upstairs to your kitchen and I called my parents because if there's one thing that I can remember as a child when we were good was in neighborhood parties watching the Bills because we were 13 and 3 year in and year out in the early 90s. So I I don't think I'm the only one that had a conversation with a parent about this, but that was the first thing I did was I called my parents and said, this is amazing. I can't believe it. It's been since 95 when I had bull haircuts and wanted to wear nothing but lime green clothes. It was fun. And I'm, I'm like I said, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm not the only person that of my age, you know, mid 30s called their parents to talk about this game. As the game was winding down and our euphoria was starting to really ramp up, 
my phone starts going off and there's text messages, there's DMs from people who follow the show. We're getting all kinds of this feedback, but there's this one that pops out to me. It was a text from my father. Now I've talked openly on this podcast about my father and I and our relationship with football and through football. 7.32 on Saturday, he texts me and says, so in five or so minutes, you know what it feels like to be the fan of an AFC East champion. Enjoy it for a day and get back to work because we got bigger goals. <laughs> 25 fucking year wait for you. Congratulations. Chris, I read that and I, I'm not going to lie. I got a little misty eyed. Got a little misty eyed. I mean, it's been a long road. And I like the fact that in, in a very gear manner of doing things, it's like, look it, you had your minute. Enjoy it. But it's not over. <laughs> it only, there's bigger things after this. It's almost like my father reaching back and saying, hey, look, I've been here. Don't get married to the idea that this is the win because there's bigger victories out there for you to have. I loved it. I love it. I still, like, thinking about it, I'm not going to, we've already talked about this, I'm not going to get emotional in your kitchen, but I got a little misty-eyed after I got that, and it made it made this all feel like a holiday miracle, like some cheesy Hallmark Channel nonsense, except it pulls at your heartstrings without trying to sell you anything. I love the fact that I read that text to the room, and then 20 minutes later, Mark with a C is running out the door with his wife because he's like, I got to go talk to my dad. I got to see my dad. I love that. That's the best. That's what this is about. But I know I'm not the only one out there who really felt this win and everything that it meant. And I can sit here for a literal hour explaining all the thoughts that went through my head as I kept my own one-man party going until about 4 a.m. But instead, I'd rather pick the brain of somebody who got to live that win? Without, with no further ado, we have a captain on deck as Mr. Reed Ferguson joins us tonight for our podcast, our festivist celebration. Reed, how are you doing on this fine evening? Guys, I'm doing fantastic. How are you guys? Oh, we're pretty good. Pretty good. Um, I, I, who has complaints? I mean, one of the themes of our show is the airing of Bill's grievances. And I got to tell you, Bill's fans really had to dig deep for him this year. You guys really didn't give us much to complain about. Now, <laughs> AFC East champions coming off a resounding victory. First question, how many times did you, Bojo, and Bass practice that group handshake that the Bills social team caught you doing? Uh, I can say we have uh, confidently practiced it uh, maybe twice <laughs> in practice. But the offense is, is uh, scoring so much, we get plenty of practice on, on the weekend. <laughs> that, listen, it, it's ridiculous. I, just We're sitting here talking about what it means to us as fans, having watched that game, having watched the Bills clinch the division, especially the long-suffering portion of this fan base. Now, you haven't been here to experience the last 25 years of anguish that we have. But you got here in 2016, and you can recall what watching us as a team struggle to find traction in the NFL was like from within the locker room. And you, to me, you're kind of like that, a real-life version of that how it started and how it's going meme. I mean, you started as a practice squad member of a frustrating football team, 
to now a captain of a division-winning one. I mean, first of all, <laughs> round of applause. From a philosophical... Thank you. <laughs> and cheers to you, man. From a philosophical standpoint, did Sunday... Did Sunday feel like an affirmation of all the things that you thought were possible when you signed your extension here with Buffalo? Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think uh, from from the Bills social team, what they posted, I think that uh, that they put it up on their the video of Coach McDermott's post game speech in the locker room. Um, he said it was a culmination, really, of. of the past four years since they've gotten here and what we've been building. And I think that that's uh, pretty clear to see, you know, from obviously from our perspective um, or for, I guess from the, from the people that have been there since Sean and, and Bean got there, but um, also from the fan perspective to kind of see uh, how the culture has changed and, and how uh, the team has really changed since uh, the old regime left and the, and the new guys came in. So, uh, I think it's super exciting, obviously, um, from from everybody's perspective that, that we were able to to kind of break that 25-year drought um, after, you know, after we we broke the drought, playoff drought a couple of years ago, you know, we're kind of, uh, seems like we're on a good roll here. But, um, no, I, I think it's, like I said, I think it's super exciting for, for the fans to um, – to, to, to see the success of the team and, and, and we play for the fans. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's been real great. I mean, it's been incredible to watch. Winning football for the first time in 20-some-odd years, the team has found success in pretty much all phases of the game at this point. And I think that that's one of the things, if we're going to talk about your specialist group, after the release of Hauschka, you were the de facto elder statesman in what's a pretty young and still growing specialist group. And when you look at Sunday's game, Bass is a perfect six PATs, two field goals. Bojo only gets one punt because Josh Allen and the offense, and they're just executing yep. at this ridiculous level. But now that he's finally gotten enough punts, which we were joking about the last time you were on the show, that Bojo wasn't getting enough work to actually show up on the stat sheets. Now that he's finally there, his his one punt went for 63 yards. I mean... That's a banner day, right? Absolutely. I mean, uh, I mean, you look at you look at the stat sheet after the game, and um, you know, kicking and punting, you've really got no complaints to make at all. Uh, you really have to have to dig deep. But um, yeah, I mean, th- those guys have done a great job continuing to um, you know just improve every week. And I, I think one thing that uh, has kind of set us apart from past years is we're really, uh, you know, you know, it's, it's just as important to focus on the details when you're having success as it is when you're, you know, when things aren't going well for you. So, uh, you know, even though Bass was, uh, you know, six for six PATs, two for two field goals and had uh, a bunch of touchbacks, I think he had all touchbacks, um, on kickoffs, you know, just to, to go in and watch the film and see what you can improve on, you know, you know, uh, as far as maybe op times and stuff like that, uh, just, uh, really critiquing the fine details. And that's how you continue to have, continue to have good success. Well, here's what I love because this is, a, and I'm, I'm going to say this so you don't have to, and nobody else has to, you guys as a young group, Chris, you know, this, there's growing pains in the NFL. 
Yes. Anytime youth is involved. We know this because we've been around the block and we've seen it enough times. The Everyone wants to talk about the offense, and rightfully so. The offense has grown over the course of this season into a ridiculously consistent unit. And the defense is now starting to round into form on the same front. But you'd be remiss if you didn't talk about the growth of the special teams. I mean, Tyler Bass, early on in the season, he came under fire from a lot of different people. Bills fans on social media, local pundits. Bass has no misses since November 8th. And he's second in points in the NFL for kickers. I I think that that... Chris, if if I told you a rookie kicker would give you that... I think most people give up on their kickers early, especially if they're rookies. I mean, look at uh, Vedvik. Look at uh, Roberto Aguayo. Oh, I know. And then and look at on a weekend where and then I guess so. You think about that and his growth, and then you look at we just watched a weekend of football where multiple teams lost football games because their kickers were bad, because veteran kickers went out there and made mistakes. The fact that we're developing a rookie who has a really high ceiling. And he's doing this well in the games that matter the most down the stretch. I think that that speaks volumes to the job that he's done here, just growing his game. And then Bojo, number one in the NFL in punt average. So, hey, Kevin Masari, that's why he's on this roster. You can stop asking Twitter every single game why he's still around. That's it. Get over yourself. And of the 27 punters that play, who have played every game this season, Chris, Bojo is eighth in return yards against, which means he's getting considerable hang time on that. Now, Reed, you're hearing these things. You probably already know those statistics, or maybe you don't. But you're a special teams captain whose unit is thriving in lockstep with a team that seems to be trending in the right direction in all, all phases of the game. That has to be a pretty rewarding thing to reflect on when you look at the role it plays in the overall success of the team and the role that you have in helping cultivate that, right? Absolutely. And um, I think one one uh, major factor is really, and, and kind of like I touched on earlier, is um, the work that these guys have put in, you know, Bojo specifically, um, in the off season and, and really in season every week, uh, just being super diligent, uh, you know, watching film and really critiquing um, his his form and technique and stuff like that to to correct what he can. And uh, you know, he's he's admittedly had his struggles the past couple of years. And and uh, you know, props to to uh, Brandon Bean and Coach McDermott for uh, sticking with him. And and I think we're kind of we're we're, we're seeing that hard work um, come to fruition. But. Uh, and you know, also Tyler, he's he's doing real well, obviously for for a lot of the same reasons. Um, but we, you know, we've we've got we've got a good a good core group of guys, uh, uh, core special teams guys. Uh, you know, Saran Neal, Taiwan Jones, Jaquan Johnson, uh, Tyler Matikavich, of course. Um, got guys that that are all four phase guys that uh, have really stepped up this year and and kept us going in the right direction and. Uh, I, I think that's that's a big reason for our success this year on special teams. The, <laughs> Tyler Medikavich was getting snaps as a starter. That's how you know the team is doing well. You know you're in the driver's seat in the game when Medikavich is out there taking snaps as a, as a stand-up linebacker. And it was awesome to see. I was happy for him. 
Now, the last time you appeared on this show, you delved a little bit into the concept of players' mindset versus fans' mindset, and people responded to it. The people who reached out to us after the show had a lot of positive things to say about it. Now, when you take into account this victory and what it meant for our team and what clinching the AFC East means, like means on the grand, in the grand scheme of things, I mean, you can imagine my house. It was bedlam. There was people getting sprayed with champagne. 90, so- 90 songs are being cranked until two in the morning. I ate a nine million Scoville gummy bear. I mean, it was it was bedlam. So <laughs> what was the mood? I mean, we saw the videos and we see the social media stuff. What was the mood in the locker room like after the game? Was it relief? Excitement? I mean, what what is it that you guys were feeling at that point? Yeah, so um, that, that, first of all, it's good to hear that you guys got some good feedback. I, you know, I always try to um, to, to be honest and, and truthful and, and give, give you guys some good insight as much as I can. But um, as far as the locker room on, on Saturday went, uh, you know, I think it was probably, a, 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 I mean, from, I mean, I think a lot of people saw a lot of the videos that were floating around, but, uh, from, from different players and stuff. But, um, you know, I think it was probably as you would expect, you know, you're breaking a 25 year, um, you know, w- division winless streak. And, and that's, of course, exciting in its own, uh, in its own right. But on the other side, um, you know, I think the guy, the culture that, uh, Coach McDermott and and the, and the coaching staff has has really built and instilled in us is that um, exactly what our shirt says one not done. Um, so you know the, the winning the division and getting a home playoff game it was the fir- was always the first step. Uh, you know winning it winning at home is, is important throughout the season because because uh, that's the easiest way to uh, you know to get yourself rack up those victories in the win column, but, um, you know, win, winning the division is the first step and then winning the playoff game is obviously the next, uh, well, I guess winning Monday night and then beating the Dolphins, uh, the next Sunday would be, uh, the, the next two things on our, on our radar. But, uh, you know, in terms of the grand scheme of, scheme of things, when you're talking about, you know, making it and, and winning a Super Bowl, uh, winning your division and, and hosting a playoff game are, are your first two goals. So, um, that's that's kind of what we accomplished, but we know that there's still uh, a lot out there for us. Um, a lot, lot as as Josh likes likes to say, there's a lot left on the bone. <laughs> well, and that was going to be one of my uh, last questions to you. Well, one of them is, you, you hear Josh Allen say these things, and obviously the team feeds off of Josh's vibes. He really has grown into the leader of this team. <laughs> Josh, though, he's an excitable kid. <laughs> he is. When I look at Sean McDermott, I mean, we joke that sometimes his his press conferences, the man can be like walking Ambien, but that's because that's who he is. He's a very measured guy. I was going to ask, on a scale of one to ten, does he ever get past a five in terms of excitement, or does he just kind of hang out there all the time? Because in his press conference, you I mean, you knew they won, but you wouldn't have thought it was anything special. Right. Yeah, I think that's kind of just his demeanor um, that he holds. Uh, that's pretty, you know, I think, I think from a fan perspective, that's been pretty, um, uh, obvious, you know, since he's been here, he's kind of had the same demeanor mm-hmm. in, in a lot of his pressers and, and public stuff. But, uh, no, I mean, he, 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 he was excited in the locker room. Um, you know, he, he's, 
uh, he he's worked hard. Him and him and his coaching staff has have worked extremely hard to get us um, to where we are today. So, uh, you know, I, I, he's he get, he gets above a five, if you will. <laughs> okay. uh, but but I wouldn't say that that he does it often. Okay, well that's and that's I just want to know that the man has a pulse. I mean that that's all I'm looking for. And yeah, then, yeah, absolutely. And then I, the last question. After a season, a really quiet stadium out there in Orchard Park, Chris and I are season ticket holders, and it's been killing us that we couldn't be there for what is a historic Bills season. And I mean, there's people chomping at the bit just to go stand outside the stadium on game days. Hell, there was people standing at the airport waiting for you guys to come back the second time that's happened in your career. And this time, I feel I have to feel like it, it was maybe a little bit more rewarding, if I can say that, knowing that you guys won the game, won the won the division. You come back, and there's just a throng of people waiting for you. I mean, that had to feel pretty good, right? <laughs> what, what did, what yeah, you say absolutely. It was... And I mean, uh, I mean, I, I vividly remember uh, when we came back uh, from Miami after clinching the playoffs a couple of years ago um, in in seventeen. I think it was New Year's Eve uh, that we played the game, but. Um. Yeah, I mean, the, the, but the amount of people that that showed up um, on on Sunday, early Sunday morning, uh, for us at the airport was just simply incredible. And I think, uh, you know, that that really showcases, like you were saying, that really showcases the amount of people that uh, and the passion that the people have, that, that the fans have for us, and and how badly they want to get back in the stadium. So. Uh, I, I, you know, what? I don't want to get started on that. Oh, I know. Probably, we <laughs> probably do a whole a whole podcast on that, but we could do a whole um, show on that. So I guess my last question yeah, to you is: What would it mean yeah, to you anyway. guys as players to come out of the tunnel for that playoff game and see maybe what fifteen to twenty thousand of just us screaming lunatics cheering you guys on as you kick off a playoff game here in Buffalo for the first time in your career? What would that mean to yeah, you personally, I mean, and what do you think it would mean to the team? Yeah, I mean, personally, that's, that's pretty much, uh, I mean, hosting a playoff game for, for Bills fans uh, is, is probably, you know, that's, that's been priority number one since really since I've gotten here, you know, knowing, knowing that the playoff drought was, was a thing, um, you know, and then breaking that and then winning the division this year, uh, you know, that's, that's kind of been, uh, you know, that would, that, nothing would delight me more. I don't think so. Um, you know, fingers crossed, but, uh, we'll see. What do you got going on for holiday plans? What, what, what are you doing? Do you, are, are you a ham guy or what do you, what's your meat of choice? I am a, uh, so I, I'm pretty much, I'm pretty similar for Thanksgiving and Christmas. Definitely ham. Uh, you know, Turkey has it, has its place on Thanksgiving, but, uh, I am, I'm big ham guy. So, uh, ham, as long as there's ham and as long as there's desserts, I'll, I'll throw whatever else is there on my plate and, 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 <laughs> and eat and eat it. But, uh, those are, those are the two musts for me, ham and ham and good desserts. <sighs> See, I can't, I can't get with you on the ham thing, but mostly because anytime I cook a ham, it's five pounds of ham. What do you do with all of that afterwards? You make sandwiches. You make sandwiches. And then when you yeah, make them with sandwiches, sandwiches, you still have three and a sure. half pounds of it left. <laughs> we all, well, we always, um, I'm a big fan of the, um, 
honey baked ham. So there's not one close. So we're having one shipped uh, up just because that's that's my favorite. So uh, we'll get one that's sizable enough to eat on Christmas, and then definitely have uh, some leftovers for the days to come because that's that's the best part is the ham sandwich on uh, you know two days after Christmas. Man, can you imagine? I mean, we've watched we've watched Reed woof down whole Wegman subs like they didn't exist. Like, yeah, like it was an, like it was an aperitif. <laughs> I can't imagine don't, don't how get, big. I can't don't imagine. get Chris started on 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 Wegman's versus Subway. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine how big this honey ham has to be. Reed, I hope you guys enjoy your Christmas. Okay, I hope you guys have a great holiday. Thank you so much for joining us. And uh, why don't you tell everybody where they can follow your adventures over on uh, Instagram and, and on Twitter? Sure. So, uh, yeah, well, first of all, thanks for having me on. Always appreciate that. And uh, I'm, I'm uh, on Instagram, Reed Ferguson, uh, all, all together. Uh, and then Twitter, I'm Snapflow69. 2020 has already reshaped how we work, and it's almost over. Businesses across the globe are challenged to be their most efficient, which means every hire is critical. Indeed is here to help. Indeed is the number one job site in the world with more total visits than any other job site. Indeed helps you find quality candidates quickly so you can focus on hiring the person you need to keep your business going. Unlike other sites, Indeed gives you full control and payment flexibility over your hiring. You only pay for what you need. You can pause your account at any time, and there are no long-term contracts. And now, Indeed's new way of matching you with candidates instantly delivers a short list of quality candidates whose resume on Indeed match your job criteria that you can contact the moment you sponsor a job, making Indeed the only job site that can move as fast as you do. 73% of online job seekers in the U.S. are visiting Indeed each month. So it's clear Indeed can help you get the quality hire you need. That's why more than 3 million businesses worldwide use Indeed for hiring. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed out with a free $75 credit at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Offer valid through December 31st. Terms and conditions apply. Football is back in full swing. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Bet Online. Bet Online is going the extra mile to make sure you can get in on every possible chance to win this season. From game spreads and totals to team, player, and coaching props, Bet Online gives you more options to wager than anywhere else. You can get in on their season opening bonuses today and start off wagering on wins, division, and championship futures all day, every day. Head to Bet Online today and take advantage of all the great sign-up bonuses. Don't forget to use the promo code BLUEWIRE at betonline.ag. That's BLUEWIRE, all one word. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. All right! And so with that, we kick off the back half of this podcast with the AFC playoff picture, Week 16. The Bills' odds, according to Pro Football Outsiders, the AFC's title odds are 100%, and our overall postseason odds, Chris... Shocker, 100%. Call it Hack Radio. I just wanted to hear that out loud. 
I just wanted to hear it. I wanted to see it in print in front of me as we record this podcast because I'm self-indulgent and there's nothing any of you out there can do about it. Our week 16 rooting guide. I mean, there's so much to talk about here that for the sake of time, I mean, we get it. I love Chris. I love a two and a half hour podcast. Yeah, you do. They're fun to record, but they're not convenient for the listener. So we're going to be taking a deeper look at the playoff scenarios and storylines for Buffalo. Now that we're this inexplicable two seed in this week's AFC East Roundup podcast. So make sure you go listen to it. I mean, that loss by the Steelers really just changed the landscape of football. It did. We also next week in the Rockpile Report are going to have a story about fans potentially in the stadium. That's another rooting interest that I wish I could talk about tonight. But we just don't have the time because it's Festivus. Yes. It's Festivus. And we have some we have business to get to. And it starts with our week 16 preview, the Buffalo Bills at the New England Patriots. The time, 8.15 p.m. Eastern Standard. It's going to take place at Gillette Stadium, Foxborough, Massachusetts. Place where the Bills have never won a truly meaningful football game. On the call, Lewis Riddick and Steve Gleason. Steve Levy. Not the guy that got ALS, blocked the punt for the Saints. That's Steve Gleason. Steve Levy works for ESPN. He's called a Bills game. He's called a Sabres game. And then you're on your write-up, you're completely missing Brian Gracie. <laughs> Lewis Riddick, Steve Levy, <laughs> Brian Gracie. Folks, what can I say? And I'm at this not. point, it's Lewis Riddick. Future NFL GM. What can I say? I'm a consummate professional. And the line on this game, Chris. Minus six and a half Buffalo. The Bills are six and a half point favorites in Foxborough. Does that not sound crazy to anyone? This is madness. On the injuries to watch, the Buffalo Bills have some. We're nicked up a little bit. We've got cornerback Trey White and wide receiver Stephon Diggs, who both kind of. Are they okay, Chris? I feel like those were kind of fluky. What, uh, Trey White had a stinger. Stephon Diggs had a foot thing. Hopefully. Vernon Butler, that was concerning. He's been, we talked about him last week, about how he was picking up his play, and he was kind of responsible for taking on that big one-tech role in the middle of the defensive line. And wide receiver John Brown. Again, he's been activated. It's just interesting to see whether or not the team actually puts him on the active roster. Then on New England's side of the fence. <sighs> Let me take a deep breath for this one. Whew. It starts with Stefan Stefan Gilmore at cornerback, who is out for the season. That's a ramp up with a quad injury. Running back Damian Harris is questionable. Wide receiver Dante Moncrief, also questionable. Offensive center David Andrews, also questionable. Defensive end John Simon. Linebacker Juwan Bentley, also questionable. And wide receiver Julian Edelman could make his first start since October 31st. Chris, this game. If you go back two months, maybe two months and change, I, like a lot of other Bills fans, had this game circled in red. Our arch nemesis on primetime TV. I mean, if this is... If you wanted to equate it to wrestling, this is Hulk Hogan versus Andre the Giant at WrestleMania 3. True or false? 
Yeah. This is Clash of the Titans type stuff. Where the Hulkster went on to body slam the giant. Something that I'm proud to admit that I still own on VHS. And I occasionally watch. Because there's a match where Hillbilly Jim wrestles King Kong Bundy. And each of them has a trio of dwarves as tag team partners. Chris, I can't make that up. Yeah. That sounds <laughs> King, about right. That King Kong Bundy ultimately loses because he splashes one of the dwarves. And then everyone turns on him. And it's... What uh, anarchy and it's seven on one. Yeah, <laughs> it's actually a match, and it's just a bunch of people beating up King Kong Bundy. <sighs> I have to keep that VHS for posterity because I feel like they'll never air anything like that on TV ever again. <laughs> this game was supposed to be epic. It was supposed to be the battle of like, hey, the Bills are finally going to climb up and they're going to take the throne by force from the New England Patriots. And yet instead what we're left with is something much more anticlimactic. I mean, the team that goes out there on the field is going to have the Patriots uniforms on. They're going to call themselves the New England Patriots. But it almost feels like the time the WWF tried to replace Scott Hall and Kevin Nash's characters, Razor Ramon and Diesel, with two sort of muscular, sort of fat guys from East Texas who styled their hair with brisket grease. I mean, whose whose only qualifications were that they bear they bear a slightly passing resemblance to the former superstars. Well, you know that the guy that played the role of and I'm air quote here Diesel was this guy that played Jerry Lawler's dentist <laughs> Isaac Yankum DDS, and then that didn't work, so they gave they gave him Diesel, Isaac and then Yankum. and then Diesel didn't work. So they repackaged him as Kane, Undertaker's brother, according to the script. Proof that you can fail upwards. Yes. Proof, folks, that out there you can fail up. But that's what this New England Patriots team is. And I really don't... Chris, I don't know what to do with this game. I don't... We're six and a half point favorites in Foxborough for the first time in the last decade and a half for a reason. This team is bereft of any kind of execution or talent. You watch the way they've played football. You know who they've beaten up on? Rookie and second-year quarterbacks. Their wins have come over the Jets, Baltimore. Like, you go back to the 1st of November. Their wins have been the Jets, who everybody beats, and they barely beat the Jets. It took them Joe Flacco throwing a pick on the last drive for them to win that football game. They barely got by the Jets, and we should have known then that they were paper tigers. They then go on to beat the Baltimore Ravens, which seemed crazy at the time, but the weather was nuts and everything. And then they lose to the Texans, which is a game you didn't think was possible. You're like, oh, the Texans, they stink. But they beat the Patriots? That seems weird. And then they beat the Cardinals and the Chargers. Knowing what Bill Belichick's record is against young quarterbacks who are still trying to figure out the NFL game speed. And then they go out and get shellacked by the Rams. Shellacked. Waxed. And then Miami Dolphins come in and just, in one of the slowest, most painful-sounding games ever, just choke the life out of you, even when they themselves are only slightly above-average football team. What is this iteration of the Patriots? What are you looking for? What do you expect to see on Monday night? 
You know what I'm expecting? Belichick to trot out Jarrett Stidham. Really? You think he's going to go whole hog on that? Well, they're already out of the playoffs, so why not see what you have with Stidham? I mean, he's not going to probably won't play him next season because does he strike you as a guy who's willing to go down with the ship or do you think he's someone who's going to fight to the last man uh, i don't know that's right we don't know because we've literally never seen this set of circumstances before we've never seen a patriots team eliminated with two weeks left have to play out the string on national tv does bilicek Strike you as the man who likes to be embarrassed? No, he doesn't. Okay, so then does he strike you as the type of guy who's going to go out there and try out a roster that could embarrass him? No, but you know what you get with Cam Newton, and I think you got to give Jared Stidham a look. <laughs> a look? Yeah. A look? Like, a, a, when I say a look, I mean a whole game. <sighs> And hopefully he doesn't get injured. Do you think he does it on Monday Night Football? In front of the whole country, he's going to pull Cam Newton. Well, how many people watch ESPN to begin with? That's enough. I mean, you just said you didn't want to watch. You said you didn't want to watch uh, the Monday Night game last night with Pittsburgh and Cincinnati. No, no, I didn't. So look at other uh, fans of other teams in that situation. They're going to Buffalo. They're already in the playoffs. Patriots. They're already out. This is what a gem my wife is. She goes. Excuse me. She's watching Holiday Baking Championship, and she she knows that she's falling asleep laying on the couch. And I'm working on podcast stuff. And she goes, are you sure you don't want me to turn the game on? And I go, no, I told you. You can watch whatever you want. She goes, okay, but just so you know, Ben Roethlisberger has 19 yards passing in the first half. She knew that that's all she had to say. And I was going to be like, wait a minute. Turn, Turn this thing on. And it was live from there, and she got to go to sleep, and it was she didn't miss her show. It was great. She knows me, and I love her for that. Even for as much as... Chris, married life. It's great. No, it's not. <laughs> Says you. I love this woman, because for as much as I might get aggravated at her, she knows me. She knows me like the back of her hand, and we work well together. Last night was a perfect example of that. Working well together is what the Buffalo Bills have done for the last month, and I don't see that stopping. I mean, we can make... I'm not even going to do keys to victory on this. This is pointless. Yeah. Do, you, do you foresee a world where the Bills go out there and lay an egg on Monday Night Football after everything we've watched them accomplish over the last month? The way they're playing, no. Knowing that something might still be at stake and that there's something still up for grabs, I don't expect this team to take its foot off the gas. No, I don't. I don't. I don't either. They still have seating to play for. Patriots have nothing to play for except uh, draft position. I can position these right here. <laughs> <laughs> That's lewd and it's crude. And I'm sorry, but I'm not sorry. Your prediction on the final score, Chris? That's going to be our Seagram's bet. Uh, I think we win twenty-seven to fourteen. Twenty-seven fourteen. I actually like that. All right, Josh Allen, under over passing yards. A thousand? <laughs> Bill, Josh Allen by a billion? Yeah. Hashtag? Um, 280. I take over. You take the over. All right, I'm taking the under. Yeah. After watching the rushing attack of the Dolphins carve them up, 
I think this is a game where if, if there's a get-right game for your rushing attack, you do it now. You try it now. You lean on it. I think it's going to be interesting to watch, but that's going to be our Seagram's bet. Slauncha. And with that, I'm pumped for this. Chris, I've been looking forward to it all night. Our sixth annual Festivus celebration, an airing of Bill's grievances. The tradition of Festivus begins with the airing of grievances. I got a lot of problems with you people. Now, you're going to hear about it. Much like Frank Costanza, I have a Festivus story. It's kind of funny in retrospect. This all started because in 2015, the inaugural year of this podcast, we had so much hope for the future. We really did. And you had finally conned me into believing that this team was capable of great things under Rex Ryan. You know, at least we knew the press conferences were going to be entertaining. So everyone was a buzz. Rex was going to take us to the promised land. This team was going to be great on defense and life was going to be good again. By the time the holidays rolled around, this team was a mess. And as fans, we had taken more than our fair share of proverbial kicks to the groin. And so as I sat in my bachelor pad apartment after recording a podcast one night, chugging beers and angrily rewatching Bill's lowlights, I thought to myself, there had to be another way. Thus was spawned the airing of Bill's grievances. A chance for everybody everywhere to get the things that they hate about this football team that year off their chest before the start of the new year. So you could go into the into the new year fresh and just feel like you'd, you'd gotten it out. Fast forward to 2020, and I've got to say, despite everything that has absolutely sucked this year for everyone everywhere, Chris, 2020, it's not a... It's not a secret that it's been one of the worst years in our lifetime. On a global scale. Yeah. Pretty I mean, global scale, if you could. Yeah. I mean, it sucks that we're good and we can't go watch it. The world sucks right now. Like, well, I don't care sh- about that. I care about the Bills. I know you don't. They're good. We can't watch. That sucks. And yet. This is the thing. The Buffalo Bills have been so good this year. It was it was almost impossible to get responses from our listeners and from Bills fans around the world about what was bothering them about the team. Typically, in years past, I would spend hours pouring over literally hundreds of submissions from our listeners, trying to figure out which ones would best fit the show. This season, it was really easy. Because there were so few people who had anything about the team to really gripe about. I feel like that kid from the viral video after his dentist appointment was all laughing gassed up going, is this real life? Is this where we live now? But as always, in the spirit of the season, playoff season here this year it is, we want to release whatever small amounts of negativity we still have left so we can head into the new year And a new chapter of Buffalo Bill's history with a clean, mental and emotional slate. Hey! Happy Festivus, everyone! So join us as we crack fresh beers. And with the input we've received from you, our listeners, come together for this therapeutic and time-honored tradition. The 2020 Festivus 
airing of Bill's grievances. It first starts out with Reddit user Messiah NIN, which I'm assuming stands for Nine Inch Nails. He says, I feel like we haven't had nearly enough taint this year. I would like more taint, please. Now, Chris, I don't know what that means. I don't know how I go about helping him with that, but I assume whatever it is, it's your department. No, I have no idea what that means at all. More taint, please? I've never said that before. User Grindbase over at Buffalo Bills Reddit says, Every week I get more upset that Singletary isn't utilized more in the screen game or on draw plays. So that's my gripe. I can see that. That's a pretty good gripe. What's hilarious is that after he said this, they threw three short passes to Singletary in the in the Denver game and ran a stretch run play up the middle for him that went for a 51-yard touchdown. Doesn't that almost answer his gripe? Almost, because it will only happen once where he had a long run. Happy Festivus! Also from Reddit user R. Whelan, he says, Grievances. The fan base complaining about the run game slash inability to stop the run, especially when people use the Chiefs game as an example of our inability to do it. We are now as an offense at a point where opposing fan bases breathe a sigh of relief every single time we hand it off. This is a good thing. I don't want to be reduced to having to quote-unquote establish the run. On top of that, we've shown that we can run the ball when needed. Chris, that's a fair gripe. Yeah, sounds about right. This team doesn't need to run the football in order to be successful. And if we do... But, but, but look, Denver game right there. What were you just talking about grind base? We were just outlining how when they needed to run the ball, they put Matt Barkley in and you say, okay, they're quitting on this game. They're done scoring points. They just want to run the clock out. They hand it off one time and the running back goes 51 yards for a touchdown. I like it. I'm sorry. This team can run the football. It's just that they don't make it a focal point of the offense because that's not what we are in 2020. That's not where the NFL is in 2020. And I'm glad that we're finally living in the present. Rockpile Report faithful, Michael Partham, he comes through with, I think, one of the funnier ones here. He says, my Bill's grievances start with the NFL. From bending over to capitulate the Titans to the replacement ref-level officiating in recent recent weeks, the Shield has done us no favors, and it goes back to last year's Texans playoff game. If our season ends on more blatantly missed calls, and it's literally just a gif of Han Solo writing a tauntaun saying that I'll see you in hell. I feel like there's an axe to grind with the league itself and the way they've treated the Bills this year. Yeah, I think it goes across the league with the whole the whole COVID situation with I mean, the, the Titans, had it the worse, Raiders. But you watch some of these teams get, like the Titans, get propped up. Yeah. But the Ravens get thrown to the dogs. The Bills get thrown to the Wolves. Why not Tennessee? How much brisket could one man possibly eat, Roger Goodell? How important is this barbecue to you? That's the only reason I would ever put Tennessee ahead of any other franchise like Baltimore or Buffalo or anything else. I'll say this. I swear, if anyone, and to his point about the referees in the Texans game, the morning that we go to play the AFC wildcard game here in Buffalo, if there's anyone walking around Orchard Park in black NFL jackets and hats, 
I strongly urge you people to put them in the trunk of the nearest vehicle and drop them off at the state line outside of Erie, PA. I don't know. Maybe that's a crime. But so is what they've done to us. And in that, in that way, I almost feel like we're even, right? It's a Festivus miracle! This comes from Super Mexican on Twitter. Your friend, Super Mexican. Yes. How many times you and him love talking to each other, and I'm usually too shirtless and drunk to really hang out. Yeah, well, I mean, he, he's been in a pinch when you and your wife fight at the game, and I get to go sit with him. He's in, you know what it is? You know what the difference is? He's an intellectual, and I'm just a drunken lunatic. Yeah. That's why you and him get along, even though I don't think you're that smart. No, I'm not smart at all. I would definitely not put me in the category of being smart. Definitely so, not book smart. So Super Mexican tweets us and goes, here's my grievance. Screw, you know what? Screw all those people, and I'm not naming names, who talk crap. And I'm talking about Bills fans who talk crap about Josh Allen and Sean McDermott and haven't apologized or even acknowledged that they were wrong. It's intellectually dishonest. I was a little let down a few times in the last few years with Allen, but I never wrote the team off as a whole. There were definitely people who did, and all I want is them to be like, okay, I was wrong and I apologize. That's it. That's all I want. But because Twitter has made us all morons, we can't even have that. Also, I'm still angry about the lady who cut me in line at the Bills-Jets game in New Jersey three years ago. Screw that lady. I can remember somebody (laughs) that I have audio of saying that McDermott is an uninspiring hire. We all know who that is. Yeah. My favorite was someone called me this week and told me that Jerry Sullivan died. And I was like, well, really? Yeah. Hilarious. April? I got, I got, I got, I was nonplussed. And they were joking. They were literally trying to see what my reaction, these are my friends, people. They were just prodding me to be like, what if I called Drew and go, oh my God, did you hear the news? Jerry Sullivan died. My reaction was, eh, well, might have earned that. I don't know. Where did that come in? I don't know. He doesn't seem like a terrible guy, but also, you walk around with that much negativity, bad things will happen to you. In terms of Super Mexican's gripe, I think he's right. There's been a lot of people who have not... I've... Listen, I have... How many receipts have we tweeted out? Well, that's my point. And it would be disingenuous for me to sit here as part of the pettiest Bills podcast in existence if we didn't own our own. I've talked a lot of shit about Brian Dable. I've said a lot of things about Josh Allen over the years. This yeah. year, they've proven me both wrong. Yeah. I'm an embarrassing boob on both fronts. Yeah. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to buy like a $500 dinner because of this. Yeah. And I don't care. I'm just happy I'm wrong. <laughs> I'm just happy I'm wrong. Super Mexican, that lady in Jersey was wrong, and I hope someday something terrible happens to her in your honor. Bruce Nolan of the Bruce Exclusive Podcast over at SB Nation. I love it. He's short, sweet, to the point. His grievance is that wins are not a quarterback stat. <laughs> he has chosen this hill to die on. I that He's fighting the good fight. Yeah. You, that sounds a lot like a lot like you, because there's some things that you just choose to die on this hill. So it sounds a lot like you. Listen, you, 
in a man's life, you only have a handful... You can only stake a claim to something and stand your ground on it a handful of times before eventually the tide just washes you away and everyone forgets that you ever did it. If that's his, God bless him. This was one of my favorites. Ted Gartland on Twitter. He says, My festivist grievance, Wyatt Teller, Logan Thomas. Just two names. He didn't even go... He Short, sweet, to the point. Yeah. I wish this, we still had Wyatt Teller. This is one of the best, as these are two storylines that is... The Buffalo Bills, because they've continued winning, have been able to escape major criticism for. It's always a hard pill to swallow when you essentially give players away or you let them walk, only to see them thrive somewhere else. Specifically... When you're watching Wyatt Teller be touted as one of the NFL's better interior guards and you're watching Brian Winters flop around, flop around on our offensive line, languish in mediocrity, that's hard, right? Yeah. It's a difficult conversation to swallow. So if I can piggyback off that for a second for one of my own grievances, now that we've watched what a solid right tackle play looks like with Darrell Williams... Can we never again speak of Cody Ford being a right tackle? Can we bury this? Have it dead forever? I never want to hear another conversation about Cody Ford as an offensive tackle. Yeah, we'll probably have that in uh, April when we draft a tackle. How hilarious is it that the player we traded up to get in the draft lost his job to a guy essentially taken off the scrap heap? I mean, I get it. He was a former All-Pro got hurt, then got put on the scrap heap, but nonetheless, we got him for a song because he was relegated to being nothing, and he somehow came in here and outplayed the guy Brandon Bean traded up to draft. (laughs) If that doesn't feel like a kick in the stones, I don't know what does. (sighs) If I hear any more talk of this from the staff over at One Bills Drive, kind of like how they pumped up TJ Yeldon as a three-down back, Oh, yeah. I am just going to snap. I mean, years of Jordan Mills on the offensive line might have given us all Stockholm Syndrome and kind of convinced us that Ford was going to be good. But now that I've seen Daryl play, I know that to be a lie. (laughs) And honestly, I just feel a little bad about it because I know Brandon Bean was so incredibly hopeful that that guy would be the answer to his problems. Being swung and missed on that one. And I just hope that we can all get over that as the season goes on. Whew. This from Australia's Mike Swenson on Twitter. <sighs> what a year it's been for Bills fans. It's hard not to be content with the efforts of the players and the staff on the field. I was happy, satisfied, excited for the future. What's well, not to like? The Bills are good. Our quarterback's a baller. The GM and coach are resigned. We're breaking records, 11 wins, AFC's champs. And then I sit down to indulge the Bills' welcome home videos at the airport on Twitter. Now, I'm not a big believer in the extreme reaction government's taken to COVID, but the way they're treating it, it has the ability to derail an entire season. So what do I see? The celebrations were going well and fans were keeping their distance from players, and then this one moron appears. Not content to just... not get close to Josh Allen or Josh Norman but he continues to follow his car carrying on like a pork chop woohooing in front of his wound down window 
he doesn't just pop up and then fade back into the crowd. He goes out of his way to get closer and closer to his car. You, sir, are a dickhead. You get zero of the week, and if Allen or any of the Bills players get COVID, I'm going to fly there and force feed a jar of Vegemite down your throat. I like it. Now, folks, Vegemite is rough business. I don't yeah. know about any of you stateside who know about it, but Swenson brought me a jar. I want you to imagine if melted rubber and the flavor of cabbage had a baby. <laughs> and then that, that baby had all of your essential vitamins and minerals for a single day. That's what Vegemite is. And so if you're out there trying to infect players with COVID, I'd watch out because it's not going to end well for you. And then he tuned in with his brother, Alec, who I have yet to meet in person, but I can't wait until he flies over here for a game. I mean, Chris, what does he have? Four kids? Something like that. Four kids. And he's a police officer. He's a police officer in Australia, which almost makes me think like... He makes me think of the character Muldoon from Jurassic Park. Like, when I think of a cop in Australia, I think of someone who has to ride on top of a Humvee with a trank gun, and <laughs> it's just... Like, I don't know why, but I just feel like that land is so lawless that they, they, they require a different breed of police officer. Alec had this to say after Robert's fumble. Festivus rant. My problem is with the Bills' consistency in making at least one boneheaded, inexplicable play when we were in total control. Today it was Robert's fumble. What was that? Total control. Simple catch for a man who gets paid to do only that. It happens every week. After that predictable fold and seven points the other way. Also add that to the need to play Wallace who can't cover a rash and the bloody soft zone defense. Now, Chris, I'll defend our soft zone defense because when they're doing it, they know they have the game in hand. Do you trust Leslie Frazier at this point? Yeah, I do. Okay. But he's got a point with Roberts. You're, you only have one job on this football team. It's not to be a wide receiver. I mean, what? The one time we trusted him to run routes, he springboarded a pass up and got picked off. He's not a wide receiver. You have one job. It's to go out there for punts and kicks, catch the ball, run it out or don't. When you drop it like that, it tells me that you're not paying attention. Because that's the only thing you do here. That's it. I understand where his frustration stems from. I really do. And as far as Levi Wallace goes, what do you want Levi Wallace to do? He was an undrafted free agent. Out of Alabama, roll tide. But he, but look, does he not at least make up with some big plays every now and again? He does. Because you can't keep testing the guy without occasionally running afoul of those big plays. That's his, that's his value, Alec. And I know you're not happy about it, but we have to accept it, at least for now, until the Bills go out and spend their first-round draft pick this year on a cornerback and everyone loses their minds about that. That's it. That's that's the nature of this. Mayor McCheese, Dirty Money on Twitter. Chris, he might be one of our earliest followers. Yeah. He might actually be one of the oldest followers of the Rockpile Report. He tweeted in, I didn't realize how much I'd hate these primetime games. Football is for Sunday morning. As an overnight healthcare worker, it's been a nightmare trying to move my schedule around to watch these games. And as a result, I've had to miss a few. Like, how did Pats and Cowboys fans handle all these primetime slots? Do none of them have jobs? First of all, no. Most of them 
are just bad people. Yeah. So I assume they don't have jobs. Now, that may be a wildly flawed opinion, but I'm willing to offer it up because I'm not a smart man. And if you take me seriously, that's your fault, not mine. Well, we did uh, we did place a bet uh, before the schedules came out of on a Seagram's of over I think it was like over under two and a half primetime games, and I was oh, yeah. like over, over, and we have four. It was amazing. He has a point. The primetime schedule was an interesting one to try to navigate. I had to take multiple days off. There was no good way to go to the office after a game like that. What? A- after chugging seven Molson ices, I'm supposed to go to work. Yeah. I'm, I'm supposed to go sit in my office and do accounting. Yeah. I'm supposed to tabulate financials. Yeah. No, we're not doing any of that. <laughs> no, we're not. I mean, think about it. A lot of, and then on the flip side, you've got a lot of Sundays spent hanging around doing nothing. Yeah. Sunday De- night football. Debating whether or not I should be drinking. Yeah. Should you start drinking? But then when by the time the this last game Sunday, starts, if you might be drunk. This last Sunday, I cooked Gordon Ramsay's ultimate steak sandwich, which, guys, look it up on Twitter. I took two hours and made this steak sandwich dinner. It was one of the, it might be one of the tastiest things I've ever made. But it's because I didn't know what to do with my Sunday. I felt lost. <laughs> These primetime games, I mean, they, they really do take it to you. This just rolled in, literally as we speak, via text message from Rock Sports Network's Ryan Lasel. His grievance for this year is that for Bills fans, stop being afraid of admitting this team is good. Every time a game has gotten close, it's, ah, same old Bills, or, whoop, here we go again. This team is good. Maybe even great. It's not the Bills you're used to, so embrace it. Enjoy it. If you don't, you're going to squander the fun football that's being played right now. Festivus is back! That's a, now see, that's something to declare. Because I know I've let go. I've let go of my animosity towards this football team, and I've had so much fun the last Lacell few was weeks. specifically talking about you. Probably. And I've had a blast the last few weeks. This is great. I'm living my best life. And then... From longtime listener, Reddit user Friarface, he comes through every year when we do this exercise, and this year he hit, he has a doozy. He says, "I don't know if it's the COVID or the warmth in my heart that is the Pats. <laughs> the Pats will most likely miss the postseason, or the fact that our record is a lofty ten and three. But I would have to go out of my way to figure out grievances with the Bills this season." We have the following, a competent coaching staff, a savvy GM, a full-fledged franchise quarterback, a top three wide receiver core, the best safety tandem in the AFC, a superstar cornerback one, special teams that aren't special, and solidish guys in the trenches. Sure, there's areas for improvement, but what more could you want? I mean, fate, fate must be cruel, a cruel mistress to take it out. <laughs> To take it so that fans aren't able to be in the stands, getting to cheer on this historic team. 2020 at its peak. Sincerely, though, if that's the biggest gripe I have, then damn, we've made it, haven't we? So I would like for this festivist, rather than to harp on the team, to point my ire at the media. To quote Joe Marino, You can choose to ignore them, the national media, and choose to pay attention to good local coverage of the Buffalo Bills by scouting the scout. So rather than give Nick Wright clicks and bitching about how Keyshawn Johnson is undervaluing this great team, just don't watch. 
change the channel, unfollow them on Twitter, follow guys like us here at the Rock Pile Report. Stop adding these media presences on social media accounts. That's what these jerk-offs want. Bill's Mafia, I say, be the bigger person and don't feed the trolls. Be safe putting up the Festivus poll, this guy's hug your loved ones if you can. Fuck ESPN and go Buffalo. I love it. Yeah, it was on point. On point! And he's correct in every sense of it. We talked about that on the AFC East Roundup. About how the national media exists to just... It's a farm industry. A cottage industry, I guess is what they call it. Where you say bad things about Buffalo to draw attention to yourself so that you keep your job. You get a little kickback at the end of the week. This whole season has been crazy, Chris. Your grievance for 2020. Andrew Cuomo. (laughs) I mean, let me go to the games. I'll wear a mask. Let me sit next to you and Potter and Dan Kimball. Let me watch this team in person like I pay to every season. I feel like you and I are on the same page with this. I've been supporting this team, going to games, buying season tickets for a decade. A decade! I've never bitched about it openly in a podcast before, but damn it if I can't get it off my chest now. (sighs) This was the season! This was the reason that through all the lean years, through the end of the Gailey era, into the Rex Ryan era, and even as that flamed out, I never wavered because I said someday... Someday there is going to be a justification for all the money I've spent on these season tickets because I'll be able to watch a team actually accomplish something great. And the year that it happens, I get told I can't go. Meanwhile, in Texas, right now, Owl Mountain, he tweeted us to tell us he's at Six Flags with his kids. They're hanging out. They're all having a blast. And yet, because of the state I live in and the governor that our state continues to elect, despite my... (laughs) I'm not sure I've ever met somebody that like Cuomo. No, because you live in Buffalo. Yeah. Too far away from New York City. Nobody, Nobody up here likes him. And yet, he continues to be elected. We have no say. He continues to throttle us back, and because of it... I've now missed the thing, the thing that I was hanging on to hope for, which was that I was going to be there to see the season where the Buffalo Bills finally made good on the promise that I thought they were capable of for 10 years. And that got taken away from me. I understand that that's a small thing compared to what so many others have lost, which is why I'm glad that I have this podcast to just vent it. I can yell about it, I can get it off my chest, and I can move on with my life. And Chris, isn't that a Festivus miracle? It's a Festivus miracle! Thank you, Kramer! With that in mind, I know I feel better. (laughs) And hopefully you all do too. It wouldn't be a Festivus without that. Make sure you tune into this week's AFC's Roundup Podcast because we have a ton to go over. The Bills' playoff scenarios, we're going to be breaking them down, we're going to be talking about our own personal preferences... We have to talk about the Jets' first victory and the, the way that fan base is just feeling crushed about it right now. Talking about the Patriots being eliminated 
so much more. So much more to cover. It's going to be a great show. Make sure you tune in for it. And also, thank you for sticking with us through this COVID-riddled, just ridiculous NFL season. <laughs> Chris, I, th- I don't think I've ever been more appreciative of our listeners. I really don't. We, did, we had a format change this year. We had... Yeah, we're on a network. We had things not go well. You and me fighting here. Well, we'll always fight. We're always fighting. Because you are a piece of shit. <laughs> but I love you. I love you. Ugh. There's a reason you stood up in my wedding. Even if you roll even your eyes and I hate it. I didn't want to. Yep. Even though you didn't want to, you showed up and put the tux on. Yeah, we could have got a stand-in. Little Mickey from Seinfeld. Kramer's <laughs> friend. Mickey. Could have had a stand-in. What I do know is that I've had a lot of fun this season doing this with you, and I'm looking forward to seeing how it ends. Hey, happy holidays. From our podcast table to yours, hopefully you and your families enjoy the holidays. Merry Christmas. And we'll see you on the other side of this thing. But we got to get out of here. We have to. We've taken up too much of your time. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. And this has been the Rockpile Report. Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.